I get the privilege of continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Uh, and we've been considering the different names that Jesus applies to himself, the I am statements of Christ. There are eight I am statements in total, and we've been looking at all of them across this term so far. And um, as we discover something of the different names of Christ, it actually causes us to understand who he is more and how we ought to relate to him. Names are really significant like that, aren't they? They often do tell you something about a person and influence the way you relate to them. For example, I have a number of names that apply to me. My name is Michael. That means resembles God. Um, didn't, didn't name myself. My parents did. Uh, pretty sure that uh, it's not the beard. I, I'm pretty, uh, pretty sure that after a few days, they thought, hmm, doesn't resemble God so much anymore. Kind of stinky and demanding. Uh, my surname is Blaber. Two theories about this one. The theory that I like is that um, Blaber is actually uh, French in its origin, so it should be pronounced Blibber. And, um, and that we came over with William the Conqueror, 1066. And so once you understand that about me, it, that might influence the way you relate to me. It might make some of you think, yes, I always thought you were a tough guy, Mike. Um, doesn't surprise me that you came over with a conquering army, perhaps. Of course, the, the alternative theory is that... Um, is that Blaber actually is derived from the term to blab. Um, and I'm afraid that's the more likely theory. And so once you find that out, it might influence how much you confide in me. I don't know. But it's all safe. Um, I'm also called dad to three daughters. I'm called husband to a beautiful wife. I'm called son to a beautiful father and um, mother. And I'm also called doctor. And that relates to the way people, uh, change the way people relate to me as well. Actually, I remember just um, two years ago when Beck and I were buying a car, the car salesman was talking to me about motors, as I was expecting, and then uh, found out that my name was Dr. Blaber, and then all of a sudden he lifted up his arm and showed me his armpit. <laughs> because it was particularly sweaty, and there's a few kind of specks of, of blood, and he was going to see his doctor, and he thought, what did you think about this then? <laughs> my first reaction was, possibly fungal infection. My second reaction was, is this appropriate? Um, you know, I was looking forward to my cream cake and all of a sudden I had an armpit in my face. Um, it, names are important. They can um, change the way people relate to you. The I am names of Christ are ever so important. They tell us something about him and actually will influence the way that we relate to him. And today we're going to look at Jesus' statement, I am the true vine. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles, if you've got them with you, to John chapter 15. It's going to come up on the screen, so don't worry. I'm going to read this out. Quite a long section, we need to get the full flavor of it. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will become even more fruitful. So you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Okay. That is a very rich passage. There's lots going on in there, and we're going to get to look at different parts of it as we go along this morning. But to start with, what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the true vine? Well, first of all, it's important that we get heads around the context of what we're reading here. It's always good to do that when we open up the Bible to understand, okay, in what context are we reading what's happening? Well, John writes that this particular discourse happens between the events of the Last Supper and Jesus' arrest. So things are moving fast towards the cross for Jesus. Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room, having celebrated the Passover, and are somewhere between that building and the Garden of Gethsemane in the Kidron Valley, east of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Judas is on his way to betray Jesus as they're walking towards the garden. So this teaching may well have been happening on the go. On the go. It's a reasonable to suppose that Jesus and his disciples were walking amongst perhaps grapevines, uh, all sorts of plants of different shapes and sizes and types as he's discussing these things with them. So when he's talking about vines and branches and fruit, it's probably a very visual application of it. It would look something like that. And the disciples already know something big is on the horizon, though they hardly knew what. Why? Well, they'd just experienced Jesus transform the central Jewish festival, Passover, into something that's completely different, a totally different meal, saying, this bread is like my body broken, this, this wine is like my blood shed. He's just been telling them that he's about to go somewhere where they cannot follow, which has confused them. He's just told them that someone is about to betray him, which has scared them. He's told them that Peter will shortly disown him, which has shocked them. He's told them that the critical moment for which he came into the world is at hand. Everything's up in the air. Everything's moving fast. The disciples don't quite know what's going on. And here they are. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. But the image of the vine would have been familiar to them. It's in the scriptures. It's throughout the Old Testament. And when it is spoken of in the Old Testament, it's referring to Israel, God's people. See, the people of Israel were supposed to be set apart for him in order that they might belong to him and make him known to the world. So when God first called Abraham in Genesis 12, he promised that from him a nation would be born, Israel. And that nation was to be formed with the express purpose of being a blessing to the peoples of the earth, every people, such that through them would flow the goodness and the justice and the grace and the mercy and the very life of God, just as A grapevine produces grapes which are sweet-tasting and good. So were God's people to produce God fruit, which would bless the nations. Yet where the picture of a vine is applied to Israel in Scripture, it's most often accompanied with a judgment. They hadn't 
represented God. They hadn't borne good fruit. They had not embraced God, allowing all his goodness to flow through them. They'd actually curved in on themselves and cut themselves off in some way from God. But here, somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus says, I am the true vine. One greater than Israel is here. And yet it seems like such a humble analogy for the very Son of God to call himself the vine. Light of the world, bright morning star, Lord of Lords, those are fitting titles for God the Son. The vine doesn't look so impressive, does it? I mean, you're not likely to cut out that section there and put it in a vase on your mantelpiece, are you? There's nothing particularly attractive about a vine externally. But then, of course, Isaiah 53, too, prophesies about Jesus, that he will grow up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And he'd have no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This is the humility of God, the Son. Majestic vine. But why the vine? Okay, well... Just indulge me in a bit of botany for a while, okay? I'm, I'm no biologist, but um, photosynthesis is still impressive. So the vine is the life of a plant, okay? It is through the vine, which incidentally comprises of the xylem and the phloem. Come on. <laughs> Ringing any bells? The, the xylem and the phloem. Um, it's through the vine that nutrient-rich sap flows to all sorts of different parts of the plant. All the goodness and the nourishment and the sustenance and life flows directly from the vine to the branches, enabling the production of fruit. Any goodness within the branches of a plant, actually, is only there because of their relationship to the vine. But on the flip side, none of the goodness that's within the vine is withheld from the branches. The sap which saturates and flows through the xylem and the phloem of the vine then flows directly into the branches so that they can enjoy all of that nutrient-rich sap. And the inevitable and necessary result is that the branches bear fruit. Rich, plump fruit reflecting the richness of the vine. That's biology for you. So it is with Jesus. In him is all life and all goodness and all nourishment. Every good thing is found in him. And from him it flows directly into us like sap from a vine to the branches. If by faith you're united to him, if you've seen him and centered your life in him, then none of his goodness is withheld from you. None of it. All that he is, is ours. You can say, along with the Song of Solomon, I am my beloved's and he is mine. Amen. You can hear him saying to you, like a wedding vow, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. Paul tells us in Colossians 2.9 that in Christ the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. He is glorious God who became perfect 
man walking amongst us. So let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the fountain of all life. He's the prince of all peace. He's the son of righteousness. He's the fullness of joy. He is the bright morning star. He is the origin of all beauty. He's the light without shadow or shade. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one through whom all things were created and by whose word everything is sustained. He is the exact imprint of the Father. He's the radiance of the Father's glory. He is the healer. He is the good shepherd. He's the almighty, the all-knowing, the all-loving, the all-merciful, the all-gracious, the majestic, the only wise God. He's the one true God, beloved Son of the Father, filled with the Spirit, and he's yours if you want him. Colossians 2.9, in Christ the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. Colossians 2.10, and you've been given fullness in Christ. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave us what? The the removal of sin? No, no, no. Gave us what? Uh, Eternal life in in abstract form? No. That he gave us peace? No. That he gave us his son. Because all the fullness of God dwells in him. He gives himself fully to us to communicate to us all that is true of him, that it might flow into our lives like rich sap does from a vine to branches. So Thomas Goodwin, who's a Puritan preacher of the 17th century, puts it like this. He says, not only doth... (laughs) Just pause there. Not only doth God bless with all good things, but also he blesses by communicating himself and his own blessedness. He gives us him. The central good news of the gospel is the news that Christ is ours by faith. The Son of God is forever blessed. We we say this a lot recently because, you know, God's grabbed our heart with it. This idea that from all eternity the Father has loved the Son, lavished love, delighted in him. John 17 24 tells us he's loved the Son since before the creation of the world. Glorying in him. This is my son whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. He could have said that from all eternity long. We've got it recorded a couple of times. And notice here in John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The Father has loved his son from all eternity in a self-giving, life-giving way. Communicating all his goodness to the Son through the Spirit. In the same way, Christ loves us. Communicating God to us. It's why in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you because you need it in order that you may be able to grasp the ungraspable, that you'd be able to know how high and deep and wide and long is the love of God and that by so knowing you'd be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what we have in Christ. This is the rich sap of Christ the vine to the branches. And this flow of blessedness from Christ was achieved at the cross and it's now ongoingly communicated by the Spirit. It was at the cross that our blessed union to him was secured. So in verse 13, as Jesus, you remember, is on the way to the garden, he says, no greater love has anyone than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. Jesus divine was on the cross going to be poured out in the most vivid way laying down his life in order that all of his blessedness would be shared with us so that we might be like him. He's risen, glorious God, the true vine. So I guess the question is, are you in him? 
have you received his blessedness? Do you know, another botanical truth about vines is they're expansive. They just keep growing and growing in order that more branches might appear and sprout out more fruit. So there's room for you. There's room for everyone. And it's quite by faith that you come in, by seeing him, by wanting him, by turning away from self in your inwardly curvedness to him and trusting him. His life, his death, his resurrection. And in so being, becoming a fruit-bearing branch in the vine, the true vine. But maybe you'd say he is your vine. My question to you is, are you abiding in him? Is he your functional vine? Where do you go for strength when you're tired? Where do you go for comfort when you're stressed? Where do you go for identity when you're needing affirmment? Where do you go for pleasure when your appetites are aroused? Where do you go for life when your heart is stirred? Where, where do you go primarily? That will reveal to you what your functional vine is. Do you go to food? To sex? Do you go to popularity, to reputation? To your successes, to your, your job, your friends? Maybe it's to a nice holiday, or a good house, or a car. None of those things are inherently bad, but they're all phony vines. They, they won't sustain you. You were made for so much more. Look again. Look to the true vine. And he'll make you truly fruitful. So Jesus is the true vine. Let's, let's look then a little bit at what is true fruit. What's the true fruit that comes from the true vine? Well, when you are united to the vine... The unavoidable consequence is the production of fruit. Now, the branches of grapevines produce grapes. That's just what they do. They don't do it by trying hard. The branch isn't getting all red in the face and then a red grape. No, that's not what happens. Xylem phloem, it happens. Fruit is inevitable. It has to come because the goodness of the vine flows through the branches, has to express itself in grapes. So Jesus says in verse 5, if a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Not he might do. Not if he tries hard. Not given the right pesticide. No, no, he will. He must. It is ever the nature of God to allow his goodness in life to be poured out and produce fruit. It is ever the nature of God to do that. He's done it from all eternity. He did it in creation, pouring out love. And he saw what he'd made was good. He does it in us now. So it must be. And Jesus goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. Your fruitfulness is wholly dependent upon your relationship to the vine. Holy. Apart from him, you can bear no fruit. Not good fruit. Not lastingly. In him, you can't fail to. We'll briefly consider the nature of that fruit in a minute. But first... What's all this about branches being cut off, thrown away? In verse 2, Jesus says, The Father cuts off branches that bear no fruit. And in verse 6, he says, If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Branches like that get thrown into the fire. What's going on there? I mean, that's the type of language that can make you think, if you're anything like me, Boy, I hope, I hope that's not me. Quick, produce some fruit. <laughs> no, squeeze, squeeze it out. What's going on? 
Well, again, it's important to read Scripture in the context that we find it, in its historical and its theological context. It is possible to be around Christ, but not in Christ. Possible to look like a follower on the outside, but not have turned your life over to him. To, to not have united yourself to him by faith. To not have made him your vine. As Jesus is making this point to his disciples on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas is busily going to betray him. He'd been, Judas had been around Christ. He'd, he'd looked like all the other followers. He'd looked like a branch, but he was not attached to the vine. He, he hadn't centered his life on Jesus. He looked like a follower, but he wasn't a follower. He, his heart didn't belong to him. Jesus wasn't his vine. He, Judas didn't want him to be. So the fruit was betrayal. Now, many of you will know that I'm quite a practical guy, good with my hands around the house and around the garden. Um, <laughs> Some of you will know that that's a load of rubbish, and I'm none of those things. I'm actually very bad. And when it comes to gardening, one of the things that I find tricky is distinguishing between weeds and plants. <laughs> Don't laugh. Some, some weeds actually look quite good. You know, some of them, yeah, some of them flower and everything. Um, we have in our garden a clematis. Anyone know what that is? Yeah. Okay, a few gardeners out there, like me. Um, <laughs> clematis is a climbing flower. Okay, and it flowers in the summer, and it produces kind of really beautiful flowers. You know, that's what it does. But, but at other times, it's a kind of spindly-looking thing, really. It doesn't look particularly impressive at all. Uh, and around our clematis has grown bindweed. Boo, I know, exactly. You've had experience of this, too. Um, well, bindweed has weaved its way in and out of the clematis... And most of the time, the bindweed and the clematis just look so similar. You know, they both, they're both pretty, pretty spindly. And the bindweed even sometimes produces little white flowers. It looks similar, but actually it's not the same. Because the branches of the bindweed are not attached to the vine of the clematis. And really what the bindweed does is it chokes. And, and, and eventually it withers and it can cause others to wither with it. To, to lose some of its strength. So when I'm out in the garden... I'm ready to wage war on bindweed, okay? But whenever I get near the clematis, the clematis starts to look a bit nervous because it's like, does this guy really know what he's doing? Um, the branches and the weeds of the plant look the sim similar. They're in a similar location, but actually one is united and attached to the vine. All the goodness flows through it. The other is not. Judas had been around Jesus but had not belonged to him like a phony branch placed next to a vine, but not attached. Uh, the Bible is clear. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Okay? And you can't, you can't unbecome a new creation. Nothing can knock you out of Christ once you're in him. God is able to keep faithful those who trust in him. So Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Romans 8.39, Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And John 6.37, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. If you're in, you're in. But Jesus was never in. So he was now being visibly cut off. The bad fruit exposed. So I guess the question is, are you in Christ or are you just around Christ? Do you, 
do you come to him when it's convenient to you, when your functional vine is at threat and you need something from him? You wrap yourself around. Or actually, do you love him? Has he got your heart? And actually, is the thing you desire most of all him? Him. And all that is from him. All the richness of who he is. Is, is church on a Sunday for you about going where your mates go? Or is it actually about being part of the vine? Be grafted in. Is he yours? If he is, you need never fear being cut off. Never. If actually you're around but not in, this is a moment of grace for you. Jesus invites, come in. The, the vine is broad. The branches can still appear all the time. No one has ever been refused admittance to Christ. No one. If you want him, you have him. He will never drive away those that come to him. You want to bear good fruit? Come to Christ. Be grafted in. He's the vine. So briefly then, what is the fruit that is produced by remaining in Christ? Well, it's consistent with the vine. Strawberry plants produce strawberries. Grape vines produce grapes. They don't produce stinging nettles. The fruit is determined by the vine. So it is with us. As Christ lives in us, he inevitably produces Christ-like fruit within us. What's that fruit like? What's like the fruits of the Spirit? Become peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness. All these fruits which appear and others can see and taste and see, they're good. But, but, but the primary fruit is this self-giving, life-giving love is poured out for the good of others. That's what the fruit is. That's why Jesus commands us in verse 12 to love each other as he has loved us. So it's like this. As the Father loved the Son, so the Son has loved us, so we get to love each other and those around us. Okay, because it's, he's the vine. And so we reflect him. And it's sweet tasting and attractive fruit. So what might that practically look like? What will some of the characteristics be? Well, the fruit will come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Uh, but its essential character will be the same. So your fruit may look different to mine. I gave at the beginning some of the context in which my fruit is being born. It's when I go to the hospice on a Monday morning and there's a chance to say, who can I serve? Who can I love? Who's in desperate need at the moment, facing death, and needs me to come alongside? For you, it might be, I'm in this school classroom again and these kids do not want to listen to me. This is my, my, my moment for bearing fruit. For you, it might be, I'm at home with the kids this is your fruit-bearing moment, sacrificial, self-giving love. I'm on the recovery program. Whatever you might be, I'm studying. The fruit may look different, but the essential taste is the same. Serving in love, giving of yourself. So it means you can't look over your shoulder and say, he's more fruitful than I am. You can't look and say, oh, I wish I was that branch. Your fruit is my fruit. My fruit is your fruit. All fruit is his fruit. He's the vine. So we get to celebrate each other's fruit. That's why we do 300 stories. Because we're not about bigging up people. We're about celebrating God to whom we belong. Okay? And therefore we get to encourage one another in their fruitfulness. So true fruit comes in different shapes and sizes. It tastes the same. Secondly, it always, true fruit will always reveal the essence of the vine. That's why it will always produce love for God and love for people. It will always res reflect who God is. And the fruit is not the central treasure, it's the vine. And so 
Peace in your life does not come by looking in to see how peaceful you're feeling right now. Drum up some peace like, you know, the, the red-faced grapevine that wants to produce a grape. No, that's not what it is. You don't look at, oh, how peaceful am I feeling? Oh, I'm feeling quite peaceful. Yeah, that's good. God must be working in me. Because what happens the next day when you don't feel so peaceful and you're looking in and you think, oh, dear, maybe, maybe God's left me a bit. Maybe the sap isn't there. And then fruit comes by enjoying the vine. It's almost like the fruit comes more unconsciously than consciously half the time. And then it's only when you look back and you realize, oh, I used to worry a lot more than I do now. The vine in all of his richness is coming through. And thirdly, true fruit is for the good of others. Draws others in. It's for others to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Okay? It's not so that we can rest in how very fruitful we are. And so it's not about the spectacle of it. It's not about externals. It's not about lots of fuzzy experiences either, necessarily. It's about producing fruit that represents the richness of the vine and that others can taste and see. The Lord is good. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, it's that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. If you do good works, which are motivated by his love for you, then they'll cause you to praise your Father in heaven. John 13, by our love, they will know that we belong to Jesus. It reveals him. That's what true fruit is. Finally, what's true abiding then? I'm closing with this. First four, first four, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. What does it look like to remain in Christ then? If our degree of fruitfulness is contingent upon the extent to which we're in him, well, or enjoying him, then how do we abide? How do we stay rooted in him? Well, you know, the, the glorious thing is that every moment of every day and every activity is an opportunity to encounter God. You know, we talk about that a lot. Everything is worship. But it's so important just to have moments in the day when you just bring to the front of your consciousness all that you have in Christ. And that might look different to you to what it looks like for me again. There's no set way necessarily. I tell you what it looks like for me. Every morning, an hour's journey to Wolverhampton. You'd have thought that would be depressing. But actually... It's a great moment for me. It's a great moment. Those, um, those hours that I spend in the car, I pray. And my praying most often goes like this. It, it goes like saying, thank you, Jesus. You are the bread of life and you feed me. Thank you that you are the resurrection of the life and you're my life. Thank you you're the son of righteousness and you're my righteousness. I don't have to try hard. Thank you that you're the lamb of God and you're my Passover lamb. It's calling to the front of my consciousness everything that's true of Christ and understanding he's been given to me, given to us. And so it's resting in him. It's allowing all that richness of who he is to flow through into me. And do you know what happens? By the time I get to the hospice, I'm ready to start loving like he loves because I've, I've just reminded myself, oh, he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Amen. Who can I love? Who can I show something of him to? I'm more fruitful. And it wasn't because I just walked in determined, I'm going to really love him. I'm going to love someone today. <laughs> you know, bindweed, get out of my way. No, it was just through enjoying him, yes. who he is. It might look different to you. Part of abiding is about remaining in community. It's about abiding together. We've already heard about the different ways in which we might do that, not just on a Sunday. That's what it's about. And finally, um, we'll just skip the Spurgeon quote, as much as that pains me. Um, true abiding is about embracing 
his pruning as well. It says in verse 2, Every branch that bears fruit, he, the Father, prunes that it will become even more fruitful. Even more fruitful. What, what is pruning all about? Finegardening.com says, <laughs> that's a genuine website. When you prune correctly, you encourage healthy growth and flowering as well as good looks. I have some of that. Um, it says, for most shrubs and trees, it helps to prune at the right time. The image is this. The father is just so carefully attending to you. His eye is always on you. He's not like me in the garden. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's looking. How can I make you more fruitful? How can I care for you? Do you know what, what's, the, what's the real goal in it all? It's that you might be so grafted into the vine. Cut off anything that might actually just pull you away from the vine. Let's make sure you're well in. Let's make sure you're enjoying him. Let's make sure all of that flow of sap is coming your way and that you're able to therefore produce fruit naturally. So there's two things that that might look like. It, it, it might look like cutting off things which are toxic. Areas of sin. Or lukewarmness. You know, sometimes I find I've become familiar with the vine. Oh, forgive me, Lord. How could I need him to cut me back that I might just see him afresh, enjoy him? Looks like that. It also allows him to prune areas of your life which are fruitful, but there's more fruit to be born. My good friend Ben Kite, uh, who's a wise man, sometimes reminds me of a, of a phrase, sometimes the good can be the enemy of the best. I remember he's spoken that to me a couple of times, and I've thought, actually, yeah. Wait, is there anything that I'm involved with? Which is good, but actually, for this moment in time, it needs to be laid aside that the best might happen, become more fruitful. Um, and you know what? The experience of pruning can be painful. You know, when you think about someone getting like, clippers to you, it's happened to me this week, <laughs> and it was painful, um, then it can be, you know, that can be painful. The idea of pruning... And actually, it can make you look less impressive. You, you can sometimes look back and think, oh, but there was a time when all this fruit was coming. And I was, you know, I was quite impressive then. I was doing really significant things, and now I've just been cut back. Um, it, it can leave you feeling like that sometimes. Be honest about it. God never cuts anything off that was going to do you good, but only to graft you into the vine more, to make you more fruitful. So I guess there's a sense in which, in an area of my life, I experienced that six or so months ago when I stopped working for Oasis Church on a part-time basis. I loved working for Oasis. I loved it. And do you know what? It was really fruitful. You know, it was a good time. And I loved getting time with Adrian and Gus and Vince uh, more regularly and, and, and Jen Wallace and John Smith and Keith Medler and other people who just are around the Oasis suite a lot, the guys from the bridge who just enrich us so much. It was a good time for me, and it was fruitful. And yet God called and said, uh, it's time to go into medicine full-time for a season, at least. There's stuff for you to do there, and it's going to involve scaling back and investing in. And so there's a sense in which I imagine that Mike has looked less impressive over the last six months, because where, is, where even is Mike? What's he even doing? What's happened? Was there a big fallout, and that's why he stopped, you know? <laughs> But actually, it's been a season of fruitfulness in a different area 
but it needed to be cut down in one area in order to be able to do that. And it's all still the mission of Oasis. It's not like, oh, the church thing was the Oasis thing, you know, the, the, you know, the gathered community meetings, etc. No, 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 it's all us, yes, actually. It's just it's a different expression. And, I, and it's about investing into that. And also, where am I on a Sunday morning? I'm out with the kids. And do you know what? It's very fruitful. Yeah, Come and join us. Yeah. It's amazing what's happening out in the kids. So sometimes we cut back in order to become more fruitful as a community. We have a glorious vine. And he's yours. If you have him. You barely know, really, what we have in him. I barely know all that we have in Christ. One day we'll know in full. At the moment we see in part. Do you need to see him afresh today? Does he need to become the central place again? Your functional vine, not just your theoretical vine. Are you in Christ or are you around Christ? The invitation is come in, come in. Are you in a season of great fruitfulness? Wonderful, let's celebrate it, let's hear your story. Are you in a season of pruning? Let's hear it. Share your story. Um, let us stand with you in that place and remind you of all that we have in the vine. And let us in that place love you like Christ loves us. Just serving. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray. Just in a moment, um, we're going to close. And then if anyone's got kids, please do um, go and pick them up. But we're also going to have an opportunity to pray and to minister to one another. And so if you're someone who would say, Christ is, I know he is my vine, but he's not been my functional vine. I'd love you to come in for someone to get to stand with you, to, to make that right again. If you're someone who say, I've been around Christ, but I'm not in Christ, I want to be. Come, come in. You know, so, so much good is in store for you. There's an invitation. Uh, or if you're someone who's going through a season of pruning at the moment, it's painful and you feel I look less impressive, I just need someone to stand with me, come, let us stand. Let us enjoy him. Lord, I want to thank you so much for the blessed flow that comes from Christ. Thank you, Father, you loved us so much. You gave your only son. That we wouldn't perish, that we wouldn't be thrown off, that we might have life. Life to the full in him. You're the origin of all life, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all we have in you. Thank you. We don't have to try and be fruitful. Thank you that it's inevitable. Because you are the source of all fruitfulness, Lord, and we're yours and you're ours. I pray revelation of you would come now. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to see the height and the depth and the width and the length of Christ's love. We need you, Holy Spirit, to communicate to us the fullness of God that is ours in Christ. Pray now, come, Holy Spirit, like a wave, come. Call scales to fall off of minds, call eyes to be opened, call Jesus to be glorified again. Lord, we want to be those who bear much fruit for you, fruit that others enjoy, fruit that people who are not part of this community get to taste and to see the Lord is good. Make us fruitful, Lord, for your glory. Prune us where we need pruning. We don't mind. More blessed to give than receive. You taught us that from such a young age as a church. God, we want to be those who are pruned to be more fruitful for you and strongly grafted in the vine. And I pray for anyone here who just at the moment knows they've been around, but they've not been in Jesus. Pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and bring that conviction now? Would you come and quicken that heart precisely that all of your goodness might flow into that heart now? 
and that there might be a process of regeneration, of enjoying you, seeing and savoring you. In Jesus' name, amen.